Hi, dear listener. Zach here. I'm proud of the work we did on Call of Discovery and Keyforge Public Radio, and last year I took my love of podcasts full-time with my company, Rooster High Productions. If you know someone with a business who wants to broadcast their expertise through podcasts and derived social media marketing, send them my way to Zach at RoosterHigh.com. Thank you so much. The Philadelphia Vault Tour in early July 2023 was the first Vault Tour back in 41 months. Keyforge is back, baby, and let's dive in. to Keyforge Public Radio with your host, Zach Armstrong. Welcome, dear listener, and thank you so much for tuning in to Keyforge Public Radio, and I am so excited to talk about the Philadelphia Vault Tour. It occurred earlier in July uh, when this episode is releasing on the 7th through 9th. This is our first data point back as far as the meta goes at official organized play, accepting, of course, Keyforge Celebration, kind of a beta test uh, in a number of ways for many things, but this is the first official Vault Tour back. Winds of Exchange is going to be in retail soon, and so everything is really coming back for Keyforge now, and I'm so excited to see just how far this can go. So I got to attend uh, Vault Tour Philadelphia, of course, if you listened to my How to Enjoy a Vault Tour, even when you go O2 episode from a few weeks back, you know that already. So I won't touch too much more by a personal experience there with the double elimination format and things like that. This episode is all about the metagame. What did we see? What showed up? Who showed up? This Vault Tour was double elimination, meaning as soon as you get your second loss, you're out. The people in the top cut played anywhere from only five games, if they went 5-0, all the way up to eight or nine games, uh, getting up into that top eight, that top four. So pretty big variance there as far as how many games you had to play to actually get up to the top. We had 99 players in the Archon event and 19 in the Alliance. We're going to touch on Archon first and then Alliance. There's, of course, some special situations around Alliance being so new that we're going to discuss as we dive in there. Archon, however, with 99 players, that's a pretty good sample size to see who's coming, what are they bringing, and then what performs out of the group stage. One other experiential note is that this is where Ghost Galaxy launched the use of Playstyle, still very much in beta, but you can find it at playstyle.com, playstyle spelled P-L-A-Y-S-T-I-L-E.com. This is tournament software uh, developed by a sister company. Now, what I mean by sister company is that Christian T. Peterson, president of Ghost Galaxy, has a company called Strange Stars, and under that he has companies doing different but various things, technically separate organizationally, right? So Ghost Galaxy is working on Keyforge, and then there's the company Artiforge that technically prints the decks, and it's all kind of divided up business-wise, but it's pretty clear, of course, that because they're all sister companies, they're all related via Strange Stars, they do a lot of work together. So it was in beta for Philadelphia. What's really convenient about this software is that it uses your Keybringer login. So it's all one it's all one sign-in system. And what the idea is that you go to it on your phone, your mobile device at this event, and you log into PlayStyle. And the really convenient thing, because it's you log in via Keybringer, is that as soon as I went, I just clicked log in because I was logged in into the Master Vault in my browser. I just logged right into PlayStyle super convenient. I will say it was lovely, easy to use UI, right? You could view your time for the round on it. You could report on the round. There were a number of bugs to work out and a couple pretty big quality of life features that I know are being fought for to get in for the next big events. 
And I'm honestly excited to see what playstyle what playstyle becomes for the Keyforge community. A couple other notes include that playstyle will be the software that we use locally in local events, which I think is could be really good to have a centralized place for all that. It's going to automatically tie in like it did at, at Philadelphia to the Master Vault, where you can actually scan in your decks and it knows exactly how to go talk to the Master Vault for that purpose, which is really exciting. So using it for local events is going to be cool, especially as it gets upgraded. There were a number of players at Philly without phones for just various, various reasons. And so they did have to go manual report and they didn't have a way to, of course, check their time easily without their own device there um, at the table. So hopefully there are going to be some solutions to keep things equitable for anybody not having a phone on them. Uh, but overall, I think play style is really cool. A couple key things to keep improving because it was definitely in beta for this first big event back. But overall, I'm excited about it, especially the applications for local play because exciting quality quality local play at finally local game stores is going to be absolutely one of the biggest things that needs to go right for Keyforge to be really huge. So looking forward to everything that gets implemented there. The big data points from the Philadelphia Vault Tour is that the Archon tournament, where you bring one unmodified deck, was won by Devin, aka Flaming Hobo, of Team Repout and the Ancient Bear Republic Online League. If you've been online a bunch, you may have heard uh, about that. And his deck was a Call of the Archons with Library Access, Battlefleet, Key Abduction combo deck that he opened, or a teammate opened, as a sealed deck just a few months ago. So really cool that that deck was discovered so recently, and now it's won a Vault Tour. This is also Devin's second Vault Tour win, which is awesome. Devin's a lovely guy, totally deserving. Now he's won an Archon Vault Tour and a sealed Vault Tour. So some great feathers in his cap there. The Alliance Tournament was won by Jason, a.k.a. J-Power, of Team Sask. With a mass mutation, efficiency brew, lots of draw pips, two double draw pips on two Cronuses in this Logos mass mutation pod. Completely bonkers. If you're recognizing Jason's name, that's because you're probably listening to KPR, and he was our interviewee for How to Build for Alliance. Jason, of course, before that episode, was the most decorated Alliance player so far, as far as actual tournament accolades, and now he won the first Vault Tour back on the Alliance side with one of his brews, with his wisdom. So that just gives uh, more credibility, right, to all the stuff he shared, to all the wisdom he shared for building and enjoying Alliance back on that episode. So I recommend you check that out if you haven't, or go back and check out his entire Build, Iterate, Upgrade segment about how to actually approach Alliance and how to build for it, how to iterate, make it better, and start to shoot for that top cut. So the Archon metagame. Archon means unmodified deck, and so Archon, they used to call it Archon Standard, just means you bring a deck that you've already opened, you play that, and in this double elimination tournament, this was all best of one until I believe the top four or the finals. Keyforge is a game of high variance, so I was hoping for some best of three action in the top eight, especially because we had most of the day on Sunday, July 9th, the last day of the tournament, for this top eight, and I was hoping to see some of that variance reduced for these decks, but that's how it was played. For the Archon tournament, there were 99 players who entered. That was a great number. Very happy about that. As far as set percentages from this whole field that came in, we had Mass Mutation at about 30%, just under one-third. We had Winds of Exchange at 21%, Call of the Archons at 17%, Worlds Collide at 14%, Age of Ascension at 12%, Dark Tidings at 3%, and then Vault Masters 2023 at 2%. Vault Masters 2023 for the Uninitiated is a set that you can only get at Vault Tours. It's got an exclusive uh, set of houses that have never been seen before and pulling from quite a bit 
of the card pool. They're very cool, very fun, tournament legal. And so a few people got their goodie deck, this Vault Master 2023 deck, and then actually played it in the event, which was pretty cool. With 99 people, 2%, that's about probably two people who played their Vault Master deck. So this spread is honestly what I ex about expected to see. Mass Mutation at 30% feels about right. A lot of the diehard players like myself who have been around for a while took advantage of various sales over the past several years where we got a lot of cheap mass mutation and on average it's a pretty strong set. So seeing that there at 30% that makes a lot of sense to me. That makes a lot of sense to me. There's a lot of good decks there. There's good efficiency in Logos. Logos Mass Mutation is just one of the strongest just solo houses that you can get. And then Winds of Exchange with 21.4% there's a pretty good floor to Winds of Exchange, and I think the set's just fun. It's pretty high variance because of tokenizing cards. You might miss a key piece, but it's a lot of fun. It's relatively powerful, which is good. I don't think it's totally overpowering for Archon, but I think, I think it's good, and I'm really excited that the new set had a full 21% representation here. That's really good. Call of the Archons, always going to be a strong set. 17% Worlds Collide and then Downward. Those are about the numbers I, I expected to see. Dark Tidings, I do think there are some Dark Tidings decks that really can compete here, and so we just didn't see as many of those. I think the Dark Tidings superfans perhaps were just not able to make it to this event, unfortunately. Now, we got a house breakdown in the Ghost Galaxy article, but it didn't tell us exactly which <laughs> which set some of these breakdowns came from. It says we had 63 Logos decks, which makes sense. Logos has been in all sets except Winds of Exchange. So here's the thing. it was six, Logos was in 63 out of 99 decks, but about 21 of those decks were Winds of Exchange. So that's going to be about 78 decks that could have had Logos and 63 did. So that's only 15 decks that exist in a set with Logos, where Logos was not selected as one of the houses in that set via, you know, selecting the Archon deck. So that's pretty telling, right? That's pretty telling. Unfathomable was the lowest at 11. Obviously, one of the newest houses, although Equidon only has one set. It's so strong in Winds of Exchange, I'm not surprised that it got at least 12, right? And then cards, uh, they listed the cards in this article as well. 31 in Furnace, no surprise there. It's in both Worlds Clyde and Mass Mutation, which together make up about 44% of the entire field. And so 31 in Furnace uh, makes a lot of sense. The good thing, though, is that's not as many in Furnace as I perhaps would have worried about seeing. It is easy for Infernus to create a negative play experience because they just, you know, take away Amber and your good deck pieces all at once, right? However, just at 31, that's a bit more, that's a bit better. I think people, as, as we're going to the top eight here, you're going to see how people and pilots have selected decks where, yes, Infernus was in a number of these, but especially in the top eight, Infernus was only present in 50% of the mass mutation decks in the top eight and was not included in the Worlds Collide deck that was in the top eight. So while Infernus is still very good, still maybe a little bit too powerful, what I think is good is that people are identifying what is strong about their decks outside of Infernus, right? I think there's a lot of growth in the community, a lot of um, a lot of intelligent deck selection going on in the community, where because we're not seeing Infernus in literally everything. Thirty Wild Wormhole, great for speed. Great for speed. If you didn't listen to Call of Discovery, my previous podcast, there also used to be another KeyForge podcast called The Wild Wormhole. We had this intense rivalry. I'm just here to say, hey, I'm a grown up. I'm over it. This is Keyforge Public Radio. 
the guy from Wild Wormhole, whatever his name was, is doing something unplayable. I don't know. He's playing he's playing with Disney princesses now, I think. So, you know, I'm I'm past the whole Wild Wormhole thing. Lovely card. It's in plenty of decks, gets you lots of speed. It's got some good combos if you're, you know, drawing extra cards with library access. So that makes sense. It's funny because you're never going to pick a deck only because of the Wild Wormholes, but like a lot of other Logos picks, Wild Wormhole makes things better. Now, of course, this next card, Daughter at 25, is Logos as well. Um, so well represented at 25, 25 instances of Daughter. Now, I will say that cards two and three are from the most popular house, right? Logos. Card number one and Furnace is not from the most popular house. It's likely the second most popular house would love to have that data. Uh, so Inferno is definitely overrepresented as far as there were fewer disc decks, but Inferno was the most that showed up. So while I am very glad about the Inferno composition in the top eight, right, showing that one, it's not super overpowered, and two, that players know how to pick something that's not Inferno and still make the top eight in a big, very mature meta in this way. Still, Inferno is ahead of two Logos cards, right? Card number four, Effervescent Principle. This is going to be pretty big in Mass Mutation, right? And the other sets it's in. It's in several other sets, but it's especially big in Mass Mutation where you don't have a lot of scaling Amber Control, a lot of Amber Control that really punishes the opponent for going high. Now, the answer, of course, against Effervescent Principle is still to go as big as you can because you just get cut in half. So if you somehow get to 12, you're still on check, right? But Effervescent still a very powerful tempo tool overall for a mass mutation deck you already want to pick logos anyways with mass mutation because it's such a powerful efficiency house then coming in uh tied for fifth is ronnie wrist clocks and infomorph infomorph again mass mutation also appears in uh, dark tidings gives those two draw pips it's a common you want the draw pips all day so those are great and then ronnie wrist clocks you're going to see that in your Worlds Collide and your Age of Ascension to play if they have seven or more steel two, you know, otherwise you're stealing one. Very good card. I'm not surprised to see it represented here in spot number five, even though it's not in Mass Mutation. So showing that that's the good stuff from some of those other sets, it's really showing up powerfully. So that's the general view, right, of the of the tournament. Anybody who entered, you had a, a one in three chance to be playing against a mass mutation deck. Winds of Exchange, Call of the Archons, Worlds Collide, really coming right up on that with some Age of Ascension. So there was a lot of variety. You're going to see a whole lot of variety at a Vault Tour, especially in these Archon events. You really never know what you're going to go up against. So moving to the top eight, right? Then now the reason, of course, we're looking at the top eight is because we have the 99, the group stage. What did everybody bring? But then what was represented in the top eight? What actually rose to the top? And here's the thing with the top eight, right? Now, maybe some of these decks could regularly reach top four or regularly win at a couple different vault tours. Really, if you reach the top eight, that's a huge accomplishment. And especially with best of ones existing in the top eight, that's a lot of variance, right? That's a lot of variance in our top cut. Anybody in this top eight perhaps could have one, right? If they got the right role, they got the right matchup. Now, looking at the top eight, we had two Call of the Archons decks that had relatively similar game plans with library access, battle fleet, and key abduction. So comboing off and just finishing the game with the combo all at once, very powerful. So we had two of those. And so that was the only Call of the Archons represented in the top eight was this library access battle fleet key abduction combo. Now, where the decks were the most different were how they were acquired by the pilots and their respective teams. One deck piloted by the eventual champion, the deck is called Miss Minity, and it was opened from a pile of sealed coded decks a few months ago. The other deck, Pink Fraud, won two vault tours and then sold at auction for $3,600. So 
Uh, pretty funny that they're relatively similar decks as far as their core combo is concerned, but they couldn't be more different in how they got to this tournament, right? With, you know, the $10, likely less than $10 deck, if it was bulk, deck winning the whole thing. We had one Worlds Collide uh, that made it up to the finals with a whole lot of Igors and Exhumes and then a Tribute Exile combo. Those Igors and Exhumes helping make sure that combo fires every time. Really brutal, uh, really well played by Joby the Pilot. Uh, there was an interview with Joby about his run up to that championship, that final, that uh, those finals on the Keyforge Public Radio YouTube. So check that out if you haven't. Lovely guy, lovely interview. One Winds of Exchange deck made it up here. It's got Brobnar, Equidon, and Unfathomable, which is kind of the common knowledge for what the, the hot house combination is. There are several others that are very good, I think. Uh, but Brobnar, Equidon, Unfathomable is kind of the, the hot stuff right now. And of course, that token that token creature was Prospector. Notably, not a ton of the um, action uncommons from Unfathomable in this deck. No Befuddle or Abyssal Sight, but just a whole lot of good stuff in there. So props to the pilot for, you know, piloting something new up to that top eight. Very impressive. In the top eight, it is 50% Mass Mutation. Now, Mass Mutation didn't even make it to the finals. I'm sure, you know, you shake it up, do a few more Vault Tours, Mass Mutation will be in those finals. But we have four Mass Mutation decks in the top eight. So for those keeping track at home, that's a 30% Mass Mutation in the field, up to 50% Mass Mutation in the top eight. Call of the Archons, 17% in the field, 25% in the top eight, but one archetype of deck. One Worlds Collide, one Winds of Exchange, right? No Dark Tidings, Vault Masters, or Age of Ascension up here in the top cut. These four Mass Mutation decks, they have some similarities. So three of the four decks are Dis, Logos, and something else. All three have a different third house, though, which is great. There's not just one single house combination absolutely dominating. However, that Dis, Logos is going to be super strong, efficiency, disruption, all in one deck, right? Plus whatever tools you're getting from the other house. And so only two of these three Dis Logos decks had only two had Infernus and only one had Mark of Dis. So that's really good that these cards aren't completely meta-defining. They're very good. They're very strong. They definitely make a deck way better. They're worth looking at a pod if they've got several of them and things that combo with those cards, Mark of Dis and Infernus, but they don't completely rule. The other fourth Mass Mutation deck that didn't have Dis and Logos did have Logos. It was Logos, Shadows, and Star Alliance. So efficiency, stealing, and then more efficiency and other tricks efficiency and maybe some draw. Uh, very interestingly, no Dark Amber Vault anywhere anywhere in this top cut. No Dark Amber Vault, which was a little surprising given how, what a, a terror Dark Amber Vault has been and perhaps the community events on the online space for the past few years. So no Dark Amber Vault here. And so a reasonable amount of deck diversity among the four mass mutation decks. No DAV, only two Infernus, only one Mark of Dis, and then uh, pretty good variety among the Winds of Exchange and Worlds Collide. One, you know, one deck a piece in there, and then two coded decks with a very similar game plan. So that's what made up the top eight, right? So a couple thoughts here. So Mass Mutation is remaining very strong and relatively diverse in its strength, but Dis and Logos is certainly weighted as far as what the, the strongest is, right? So no DAV, only 50% of the top cut Mass Mutation decks had Infernus. The Worlds Collide deck didn't. Only one of the four decks had Mark of Dis. So I think that's good for how almost overtuned these high performing Mass Mutation decks are. It could be a lot worse. It could be much more homogenous, and it's not. So uh, I'm pretty happy about this. I do think it is again a sign that uh, it's a bit overtuned. However, none of these made it to the finals. 
and they had some pretty good diversity and shout out of course to the logo shadow star alliance deck that you know did make it up there if you're really sharp-minded and you've been paying attention to what i've been saying here only one deck in the top eight didn't have logos and that was the winds of exchange deck with the prospector token where logos quite literally is not an option so here's the thing about that as far as this first vault tour is concerned consistency is king consistency is king and keyforge keyforge is generally a high variance game you're going to see all sorts of situations you can hardly ever play the same game twice when you go to a tournament you really don't know exactly what you're going to be up against as far as the specific tech a weird rare a couple weird commons that just totally make an opponent's deck work and you've got to figure it out on the fly right that's the magic of keyforge that means it's higher variability which also means if you have a lot of consistency you're going to be maybe beating out that variability if you can perform consistently over and over again. So, uh, yeah, that's where we are currently. We'll see how much Winds of Exchange without Logos in there shakes it up. I think the consistency in Winds of Exchange decks may, of course, be what wins out. But we'll see. We'll see what happens. I'm also excited to see what comes along with Grim Reminder. So uh, it's a Logos world we live in right now. It's a Logos world we live in. Winds of Exchange doesn't really have enough time to be properly represented yet. It was about a fifth of the field that made one in the top eight. I think people are still, lots of people are still opening decks. Some people are still just getting orders much later than other people did. And people are still opening their decks, practicing with them, figuring out what is actually good. What are the matchups like? So I think Winds of Exchange needs some time to mature with the player base, especially the competitive player base. And we'll see what comes out. I do think we're going to regularly see some Winds of Exchange in the top cut. I think there's going to be a lot of Prospector. I do think some people can find some other types of consistency outside of the pure draw of things like Prospector and Equiji Outpost, right? Ganymede Outpost. And I think we will see Winds of Exchange decks breaking into that top cut because they high roll a bit and maybe they high roll quite often, even if they don't have traditional consistency, but they high roll right into, into that top cut. So... And here's the thing, we had two of those Coda Combo decks. Coda Combo can still get it done, whether it's a $3,600 double VT winner or a deck that was just opened and wanted its own VT to its name. Boom, there we go. Coda Combo can still get it done. Now the Alliance metagame. This is gonna look quite a bit different for a few different reasons, right? Because Alliance, totally new. This is the first, you know, the first Vault Tour with Alliance. We had Keyforge Celebration. Now we've got the Vault Tour with Alliance, only 19 people signed up for this thing, and I know that it was originally about 8 to 10, and then it, the word kind of got out that the pool for Alliance was so small, and remember, all of this is cash prizing. First place gets 3,000, second place gets 1,000. So as far as a percentage of sets that were represented, Winds of Exchange was a full one-third of the decks, Call of the Archons was about 16%, Age of Ascension and Worlds Collide Mass Mutation, all at 16.7%. So a pretty even spread of what people were trying to break with Alliance, right? What they were trying to push. Um, and I do like that Winds of Exchange was so well represented. I think there's a lot of really powerful Alliance archetypes there. And I'm just always excited whenever the most recent set, right? The one that's going to be on shelves that people can buy readily from Ghost Galaxy and the friendly local game store is what people are playing and what's performing. So I think that's great. That's really exciting. Uh, the top houses, of course, Logos was the most common. That's just going to be the theme across the whole thing. Brobnar was the least common here in Alliance. We did have a sweet Holofest deck with a couple other things. Him to Doom, a heavy subsidies represented in the top eight, which was pretty cool. 
Dodder and Infernus were the number one cards, which makes sense. They were probably well represented across the sets they appeared in um, and are kind of keys to victory in <laughs> in a lot of those kinds of pods. So I'm not too worried about those other stats. It's such a small sample size that we're going to look at the top eight here, right? But it really just took two games to get locked into the top eight for anybody who was competing that day. So we'll talk about some other analysis regarding Alliance, but a lot of the data points, it's, it's, too, it's too small to determine an actual real meta. I think simply from seeing people build online and what performed here, you know, mass mutation consistency is a very real thing. And here's the thing. There were multiple Whirlpool decks from Winds of Exchange in this top cut. We're going to talk about those too. The data we get from Alliance, you can't really determine an overall meta, but there was a spirit of excitement around what actually made it into this top cut and what performed well from Winds of Exchange and the variety of stuff we did see in this relatively small sample size. So in the top eight, it was a full 50% Winds of Exchange. It was a third of the field and 50% of the top. So these decks won their way into the top cut, right? They won their way into the top cut. Two of these Winds of Exchange decks are a particular archetype. Whirlpool Cleric. It is an archetype. It showed up and it was 50% of the Winds of Exchange decks in this top eight. It was a full 25% of the whole top eight. Whirlpool Cleric. This is awesome. This is one of the most Keyforged things that, in my opinion, has ever happened. That we, we get a top eight at the first actual Alliance event, even though it's only 19 people. And Whirl, the Whirlpool Cleric the Whirlpool Cleric archetype is real and it's effective. So we had two different Whirlpool Cleric decks here. Whirlpool, of course, giving at the end of each person's turn the creature on their right flank to their opponent's left flank. And so the trick there with Cleric is to capture an Amber. At the end of the turn, it moves over and then eventually you kill it off. So these two decks had a few different approaches. One had Lightbringer Outpost where you can move a card to the bottom move a card to the bottom of the deck to capture three so that you're getting up to possibly four on your cleric before it goes over. And then the other Whirlpool deck had an Antiquities dealer that brought in Pincerator, this rare Shadows artifact from a few sets back that deals one damage to each flank creature at the end of every player's turn. And the active player gets to pick the order of events here, and so you're going to make a cleric, your turn's going to end, you're going to trigger Whirlpool, have that send over, and then you're going to then you're going to pick Pincerator to go, boom, that amber's yours right off the bat. There was also a Holofest Heavy Subsidies Hymn to Duma deck, which is pretty exciting. Just Halifest being the Brobnar absolutely just pop off, you know, band members combo with all those creatures have these subsidies in him to Duma supporting, uh, supporting that. And then the other one relied a lot on Legionary Trainer, making a whole lot of senators uh, that took in Ansarian and Winds of Exchange, as well as also pulling in an Eaton's Jar from Antiquities Dealer. Very, very valuable pod. If you find an Eaton's Jar Antiquities Dealer, Antiquities Dealer pod that is worth its weight in gold. Two AOA decks made this top eight. Both of them were Martian Generosity Key Abduction. Uh, there's a, lot, a couple different ways to build, a couple different ways to totally capitalize on this and kind of maximize it. Logos is definitely in there, of course. But Age of Ascension, Martian Generosity Key Abduction, one of the most accessible and successful builds you can make for Age of Ascension Alliance. And then, of course, the two mass mutation decks had lots of speed and disruption, both packing Eaton's Jar. And these were the two decks that ended up in the finals. Alex, a.k.a. Lord of Winter, 
versus Jason, aka Jay Power, both people I know personally and was very excited to see them in the finals against each other. And of course, these control decks won out and they made it to the finals. These two control decks from Mass Mutation, lots of efficiency, made it up to the finals. Jay Power's got a really super powered one. I'll point out a few of the really cool things about it in a minute. We'll have to see if this type of Mass Mutation deck regularly beats out the other stuff. I just don't think this meta in this 19-person group is anywhere near developed enough to really be a true test of, of how well that can be beat. A couple of considerations here, right? We saw them two Mass Mutation decks in the finals. Pods with great bonus pips are a top-tier consideration, right? Pods with great bonus pips are a top-tier consideration. Bonus pips are good, especially Infomorph and Cronus. Those are absolutely fantastic. The variety of archetypes was really encouraging. I loved seeing. I loved seeing all the different archetypes that did make it into this top eight. We do need to see whether that mass mutation speed disruption archetype with Eaton's Jar, Mark of Dis, that sort of thing, is that going to win out constantly? Or as we get more and more a variety of archetypes, which we know we had the seed of here, we had the seed of here, as we get more and more variety of archetypes, is something going to the challenge that? I hope it does. I hope it mixes it up, right? Winds of Exchange being four of the top eight is really, really good. There's a lot of absolutely, I think, busted stuff in Alliance, which is the whole idea. No restricted list for the Winds of Exchange Alliance builds yet, right? Um, but I love that it was so heavily represented here in the top eight. That's really good for the game because these are the new decks that everybody's going to be able to get. If Alliance is dominated by Winds of Exchange, among with the, you know, a couple of other strong archetypes from, from other things, I'm happy. I'm happy because that's what players can get their hands on. That's what new players can get their hands on. Those are going to be exciting, and you can keep buying decks from your friendly local game store looking for it. You can do Alliance, Winds of Exchange, Alliance Nights at your local store. I This is good. That is nothing but a good thing, right? Nothing but a good thing. And again, I mentioned this earlier in the episode, but it's the most Keyforged thing that's ever happened, that a Whirlpool Cleric archetype came out of nowhere right? It came out of absolutely nowhere. I had no idea that was going to be a thing. That was so exciting that multiple people found that, multiple people played it, and made it work, made it to that top eight in a group of 19. Very exciting. One last note on Alliance are some uh, quotes that uh, I heard attributed to Jason J. Power, our Vault Tour champion of Alliance, and so I reached out to him before recording this episode to verify these quotes because I thought they were really good, and I wanted to share them with you widely. J Power said two things. First thing, alliances for the dreamers. If you can dream it and you can build it and you can iterate and you can pour all your time, you can pour all your time into building, iterating, finding new pods, testing, figuring it out, trying to perfect that concept, trying to break that game mechanic, right? So alliance is for the dreamers. I love that. He also said at least 95% of the viable alliance archetypes remain unexplored. I, I think that is easily correct. Right, we only had 19 people coming in to Alliance here. We had a number of different archetypes present, um, several very similar archetypes present based on what people have seen each other do. If you have any interest in Alliance and you think you want to build for it, look at your collection. Find find something you can break. What's what's your favorite, what's your favorite absolutely broken thing you can try to do in Alliance? And then try to do that, right? Because I think it's very possible you could show up, you could show up and with an alliance deck to a vault tour doing something that nobody had anticipated. And I think that is both true in Archon and I think it's going to be true in Alliance. It's just more dependent on your creativity and your dedication to the idea. So 
I love that. Thanks to Jason for confirming those quotes. Alliances for the Dreamers and at least 95% of the viable Alliance archetypes remain unexplored. Very cool. Just a few final notes on uh, player performances. So uh, Team Sass had two players in the top eight Archon and one in the top eight Alliance. So really great representation by one of Keyforge's oldest teams there with Team Sass. Reapout had the Archon champion, which is great. Georgia, my state, and the United States was well represented with the Athens Forge Masters netting a top four in Alliance from Redbreg. So great job, buddy. Very proud of you. Very good performance. Um, oh, and he also used just two local pods and then one of Lord of Winter's pods. So just all pods within his immediate immediate circle, which was pretty sweet. And then uh, Atlanta in spirit, because he doesn't live there right now, <laughs> was Lord of Winter as the runner-up in Alliance. So that was pretty awesome. The rest is a mix of players, most without a team affiliation, many of whom um, I know of or have uh, heard of, or I, I knew who they were associated with when they were in there. So a great mix of players. And then Jovi, of course, uh, a longtime fan and player showed up knocking out everything up to the final. So that was great. And a quick note, if I missed a team affiliation, then make sure your team has a current and functioning website because nobody really does. I only know Reapout because I know Devin is on Reapout because I've been around for five years in this community. If you're on a team and you all want to win things and have people know you win things, please update your websites. I'm not going to call out anybody I just talked about earlier, but you need to update your website <laughs> if people like me are going to be covering these things, right? And hyping up Keyforge generally for the sake of Keyforge. Update your dang websites. Uh, so that's about it for all the analysis on the, uh, on this vault tour. Again, this has been Keyforge Public Radio. We are so generously supported by our amazing Patreon subscribers who believe in Keyforge and Keyforge Public Radio. Couldn't do this without you. And a special thanks to our Airwave Advocate level subscribers like Paul Roadrunner. Of course, we have a merch store. So if you want to rock a hat, a hat like the one I am currently wearing or other things like a tote bag, a, a NARP notebook, Notes Antagonist Recall Play, my deck learning system. That's all at shop.keyforgepublicradio.com. And on the regular website, keyforgepublicradio.com, you can find our blogs, all the other episodes, all sorts of things uh, around Keyforge Public Radio and Keyforge so you can keep enjoying this awesome game. Follow us anywhere you can find us on social. We're on pretty much every platform at this point, posting a lot of clips from the podcast every day. And if you would like to join us on the Patreon, you'll receive both access to the Discord and a variety of other benefits. You'll get to see what's going on, vote on content, and chat with me about what's coming up in the show, how the show is going, all sorts of other things. Thank you so much, dear listener, and like your radio dial, may your Keyforge skills always be well-tuned. <laughs> Visit KeyForgePublicRadio.com to find all of our episodes, transcripts, blog posts, the KPR store, and more. KeyForge Public Radio is made possible with support from listeners just like you, who believe in this game and this show. When you join the Patreon, you receive access to votes on content, sneak peeks, early knowledge of interviews, access to the Discord, and other benefits. So come on down, I'd be honored if you joined us. Follow KPR on any social media platform you frequent. Just search for Keyforge Public Radio, and we're probably there. This show is produced by Rooster High Productions, which is me. And remember, dear listener, the most important part of Keyforge is the person across the table. <laughs>